Well, I'm, you know, I'm delighted to be bringing you the second in this series that we're doing on well-being at the moment. And um, I guess the irony and the urgency of this topic right now is not lost on me as we navigate, what is it, the 11th month, I think, of a devastating global pandemic. So right from the outset, I just want to say that everything that I share and everything that I say this morning is really deeply from my heart to yours. And it's with the greatest of tenderness and, and solidarity, because I know for many, many of us, this is a really hard time that we're going through. But last week, Matt introduced this whole concept and, and the theology of well-being. That is God's vision and outworking of what the Hebrew Bible calls shalom. That is the peace and the flourishing for us and God's whole created order, um, which one day when Jesus returns will be made perfect and complete. And I guess this week, what I would love to do is our church well-being groups get underway and we get into all the detail of the different kinds of well-being or lack of it that we experience as humans. I would love to set out a few simple pointers for us in terms of our mindset and our approach to well-being and perhaps troubleshoot a couple of easy misunderstandings it's easy to carry about well-being. But before we look at what a healthy and biblical mindset for well-being looks like, I'd love to tell you about an amazing French woman that loomed large and rather wonderful in my childhood years. And don't worry, this isn't some kind of crazy, random, self-indulgent eulogy. There really are things about her life and the well-being and that she embodied that is directly relevant to what I want to share with you today about a well-being mindset. So. I'm going to call her Madame V because um, she died quite a long time ago. So I don't have her permission to be public about her life. So I just want to give her memory a little bit of privacy. But Madame V was um, a French teacher living in England. And she taught my sister and I um, after school sometimes about once a week. She taught lots of kids um, that way, kind of privately in their own homes. And Madame V was just unforgettable. She used to dance around our kitchen, teaching us um, children's songs that she remembered from her own childhood in France. And she used to talk to us in slow and simple French about things that she loved, the food and the culture and the music and the stories of her home country. And eventually she became a really dear friend of our family. And she absolutely lit up every room that she was in. She was quirky and kind and joyous. She adored things that seemed so exotic to a 1970s young child in London. She loved garlic in enormous quantities. And on very special occasions, she drank this bright green liqueur called creme de menthe in these tiny chic glasses. And she never lost her gravelly French Alpine accent despite decades and decades of living in England. And even into her late 60s, she would join us sometimes for our Boxing Day friendly football matches in Chiswick Park, shouting, Allez France, Allez France, as um, she committed the most terrific fouls on anybody who dared to tackle her. She was, as my kids would say now, a total legend. But the most moving thing about her, the thing that really stays with me about her during all the intervening years, is the sheer light of love and well-being that beamed out of her, that just kind of shone out of her smiley, 
crinkly eyes. There was this underlying deep note of joy and, and peace that just couldn't be put out, it seemed, whatever her circumstances were like. And actually her life in all its different stages was far from easy. In fact, it was often really very tough. Um, as a young woman, she had lived through appalling losses in the Second World War, including tragically the death um, of her beloved young fiance. And like us, she was sometimes just tired or ill or lonely. She wasn't a superhuman and she felt no pressure to pretend to be one. And when I asked my mum earlier this week what she thought it was that lit up Madame V so much from the inside, she told me a story that I'd never heard before. When Madame V was about seven years old, she was sent to lessons at her local parish church for preparation for her first Holy Communion. So the priest would explain to them each week like the basics of the faith that they'd, so that they'd understand the, the importance and the significance of their first communion. But little Madame V didn't really understand what this priest was trying to say. And um, even at that age, she was clearly quite a formidable character because um, finally she put up her hand and she said these words. She said, excuse-moi, je suis confus, je ne comprends pas un mot que vous dites Dieu. So meaning, excuse me, I'm so confused. I don't understand a single word that you're saying about God. And instead of being told off, the kindly priest came over to her and bent down to her and said, oh, child, don't worry. Why don't you go and sit in the side chapel over there and ask Jesus to explain to you who he is? Because he will clearly do a better job of it than I'm doing at the moment. Now, this was clearly a bit of genius kind of class management, but I love to believe that he was following a nudge from the Holy Spirit because she potted off and she sat in a pew in this side chapel. I can imagine her little legs sort of swinging and she waited and she waited some more. Nothing really happened. And then she told my mum she had the single most significant and important experience of her life. In her little seven-year-old heart, she clearly heard these words. Hello, I'm Jesus and I love you and I'm with you. And I will love you and be with you every day of your life. And Madame V said it was this truth, known and felt day in, day out, in the good times and the bad times, that gave her life such joy and peace. And this is key to the first of five points that I want to make about well-being mindset today. I would love to remind us that well-being has its roots, its deepest roots and source, not in what we manage to do or achieve externally, what boxes we tick or what goals we smash. Rather, it lies in the proximity and the openness of our souls to love, with a capital L, to the very presence of the divine. So at the outset of any exploration of well-being as people of faith, it's really important to remember that um, it's all of the goodness, all of the healing, all of the well-being that we're talking about fundamentally flows at source from God himself. Remember, it says um, in the New Testament in Acts 17, it's verse 28, God is the one in whom we live 
and move and have our being. Without him, there is no being at all, let alone well-being. And indeed, if we chase well-being goals as our primary focus in and of themselves, they do have this horrible tendency to become impossible standards we set for ourselves and sticks that we beat ourselves over the head with, or even mountains that we try and conquer at the expense of our peace of mind. We can end up licking the outside of the glass instead of drinking the water. As we're reminded in the Gospel of Mark chapter eight, what profits a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul? So as we explore well-being over the next few weeks, let's have a mindset that appreciates that all well-being originates at source with God and his goodness. Let's have as our fundamental understanding and orientation that we don't carry the weight of generating peace and well-being for ourselves or others. Instead, we get to collaborate with God himself in making space and opportunity for his healing and his wholeness to flow in us and through us in different ways. And my second point is that while we hold on to that truth, that well-being fundamentally flows at a soul level from God, it's also important to understand on the other side that there are many, many useful things that we can do practically to create space and structure in our lives for the flourishing and well-being um, that God longs to give us. And we're going to explore those at length this term because they're really valuable and potentially so life bringing. So these two first points that I've made together reveal the fact that God's vision and invitation of well-being to us is this one that I can only describe as gorgeous collaboration between the human and the divine working together to create lives that are open and receptive to the well-being that he longs to release and grow in us for our own good, but also for the flourishing of the whole world. We could understand it like this. Our active doing part, the ways we work out and become committed to wise and healthy rhythms and habits in our lives creates the container for the well-being that God is longing to give us. And I think that seeks quite nicely into my third point, which is that everyone everywhere should have the chance of creating that container. So well-being isn't this like proudly individualistic enterprise. It's not a project in raw self-improvement or narcissism. It is stewarding and caring compassionately for the raw materials of our lives so that the goodness and richness of life will flow through us. As we think of our mindset regarding well-being, it's important that we look beyond ourselves and notice when others, maybe in our, in our families or in our local communities or in, across the world, are not afforded what they need for thriving. Where the well-being of anybody is being crushed by things like poverty or injustice or oppression of one type or another, we should, where we can, be active and play our part, however small, in seeing that things like that are changed and healed in our world because we are all beloved children of God, all equal in his sight, his image bearers, every single one of us. I don't know if you caught the amazing poem that was 
spoken at the inauguration of Biden this week by the American Youth Poet Laureate, Amanda Gorman. But I was so struck by the first verse, the first sort of section of it, which went like this. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learnt that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always justice. And yet the dawn is ours. Before we knew it, somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. And I think that that is a stunning reflection, both on the state of a nation's well-being, but it also resonates with me for smaller communities and all of us as individuals. We have weathered a lot this year, haven't we? We've witnessed a lot. We may feel battered and bruised right now. And even as I say these words, I feel you know, that many of you listening to this are feeling so depleted and, and tired. But it doesn't mean that you are fundamentally broken and that we can't grow and heal and flourish yet. It reminds us that we are an ongoing, unfinished work in progress, and that our healing and well-being is a process of learning and grace, which lasts our whole lives. So we need some patience and some compassion and some persistence. And that leads me to my fourth point, which it's important that we understand that well-being is not this kind of once and done thing. That would be a real misunderstanding because life is so unpredictable, isn't it? And we always find ourselves moving kind of up and down the spectrum of well-being and that is totally normal. It's sadly not a beautiful straight line that moves majestically from bottom left to top right. Let's be honest, sometimes well-being feels really, really far away. And there are moments in our lives when certain aspects of well-being seem almost unattainable. You know, optimal sleep is nearly impossible when you have a newborn baby. And we know that for a time that can affect our physical and even emotional well-being to a greater or lesser extent. Being made redundant and being unable to find work can have real impact on our financial well-being and security. When you're ill or when you're suffering a bereavement or some kind of trauma, this all carries impact on our well-being. And many of these things are very unpredictable or beyond our control. And in these times, and if this is you now, when hope feels dimmed and we're getting to the end of ourselves and our well-being feels a bit in the balance, that's okay. That is part of being a human. And it's not failing. And it's perhaps the moment that we need to remember that we need each other. We need to offer hope, be of practical help and support to one another, be the hands and feet of Christ in our moments of real need to each other. Well-being is so much more possible when we do it in, together in community. Psychologically, it's very difficult to experience well-being all alone in isolation. And maybe this is one of the reasons why this period of pandemic has been so challenging to well-being. My fifth and my final point is that all true grappling with well-being is going to call out of us an ability to be brave, 
and to be honest about where we're struggling. To look into our shadow, into the things that we don't really like to look at, things we might not even like about ourselves, maybe some of our behaviors or fears, compulsions, the things which we um, neglect or about to ourselves or even harm ourselves and others. And this can be uncomfortable, challenging work, but it is the work that will help transform our wholeness and well-being. So we really could do with some useful heart attitudes to help us to do this. And the four that came to me straight away when I was thinking and praying about this was curiosity, compassion for ourselves and others, non-judgment again for ourselves and other people, and courage. And, you know, I can't unpack all of those now because that would be another whole sermon. But perhaps you could just jot them down now. I'll say them again curiosity, compassion, non-judgment, and courage. And perhaps in the next few days and weeks, you could sit with those words in prayer and welcome them into your well-being journey this term. Above all, let's explore how Jesus lived in well-being himself and how concerned he was about well-being for others. His approach is written all over the New Testament for us to investigate. So we need to pay attention to his relational interactions, the stories that he told, the way he lived his life, because that's our blueprint for well-being. And interestingly, it's a model that is now being backed up in all sorts of ways by modern psychology and neuroscience. Really fascinating. But one of my favorite passages that says a lot about well-being is from the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. And let's just have a look at what Jesus says about well-being. This is from Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, from the message translation. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn how to live freely and lightly. And this is the scripture that I long for us all, myself included, to absorb into my heart in the next few weeks, to linger with, to allow the Holy Spirit to whisper through to us. So many of us are tired and a bit burnt out right now. Who doesn't want to learn how to live with lightness and freedom despite the horrors of COVID? Doesn't that sound exactly like flourishing at the deepest, most soulful, mysterious, important level? The instruction from Jesus in these two verses is clear. Keep company with him and rest in him before you do anything else. That is the mindset and the primary orientation for well-being. Notice that the invitation to rest comes before walking and working. So perhaps this week, sit with Jesus in the words of this passage. Let him explain what the words come to me. Rest. Rhythms of grace, live lightly and freely, specifically mean for your life in 2021. 
As the priest said to Madame V nearly a hundred years ago, Jesus will do a far better job than I could do this morning. So in conclusion, the next few weeks are a wonderful opportunity for all of us to sit down with ourselves, with friends and with God, to ponder the ways in which he might want to work with us to um, it's been compassionate collaboration to set up some structure and some scaffolding for our well-being in ways that will be personal and bespoke to us. And how generous and wonderful is it that he gives us all these external resources of joy and solace and comfort when we feel depleted on the inside. Things like nature and exercise and friends and art and music and good food, all things to lift our hearts and fill our cups and reconnect us to ourselves and to him. So let's get curious and open-hearted as we think about the ways we organize the things in our lives as diverse as um, how much we sleep, how we organize our finances, um, the boundaries in our relationships. And let's see if we can find ways that are more nurturing and healing, that are more like Jesus. In appallingly difficult circumstances, like the ones that we're all weathering right now, in this pandemic, God is offering us paths to resilience and peace. It's good news. So let's take his invitation seriously for ourselves and for others. And I guess I would just love to end with um, a prayer for us all. So you might just want to close your eyes. Feel free to put your hand on your heart or, or just do whatever feels comfortable. So we just settle ourselves in the presence of God right now. And I just pray for us all as I say, thank you, Jesus, that you came to earth, not so much to offer an evacuation plan from this life to heaven, but rather to pour your shalom, your peace, your well-being into the world through us. We thank you for this beautiful and generous invitation to collaborate with you in your work of restoration and healing and wholeness. In your grace, would you give us the curiosity and compassion and courage to say yes to this joyful invitation you give us and also the patience and persistence to see it through to the end of our days when we will finally meet you face to face, complete and whole, fully restored, by your love. Amen.